Welcome to the Enrich Your Soul Podcast, episode number 59 with Nadia Palukin-Pratt. Welcome to the Enrich Your Soul Podcast. I am Rich Bracken, an award-winning marketer, inspirational consultant, and expert problem solver. Each episode of this podcast will discuss ways to address the obstacles in your life and help you learn how to put your heart and soul into everything you do. Thank you for choosing this podcast to bring more love, happiness, and success into your life. Welcome to the Enrich Your Soul podcast. Today, I'm excited to share my conversation with immigration attorney Nadia Palukin-Pratt out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. She is not only a phenomenal attorney, she's also a mother, a wife, and a very successful businesswoman. In this amazing conversation, we talk about how to be successful, how to maintain work-life balance, and a lot around the meaning of life and true connections with people. So please enjoy this conversation as I did, and you will take away a tremendous amount of value. Welcome to another special guest edition of the Enrich Your Soul podcast. Today, I am delighted to be joined by a friend of mine who is also one of the most admirable women I've ever met in my entire life. Um, I've known her for over a decade now, and she never ceases to amaze me with her drive, her ambition, and her success. And there's a lot of qualities that, that make Nadia who she is. Uh, Nadia Palukin-Pratt, is a, she's an attorney. Uh, she set up her own practice in Minneapolis, focusing on immigration primarily, uh, but has started as an individual business owner and has grown her practice. And uh, to know her is to love the, the unfiltered, the honest, the driven, and the successful woman that she is. And she is uh, a story in, in herself, and I'm excited to really dive into who she is, how she's gotten to where she is, and, and how she really balances her life being a, an individual business owner, uh, a wife, a mom, and, and having all the things going on in her life. So Nadia, I am, I am blessed and delighted to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. Oh, Rich, thank you. That is quite the intro. If I ever have to give a, you know, an Oscar speech or anything of that nature, I think I'm just going to farm it out to you. I'm going to say, and here's Mr. Bracken. He will say everything that is true about me. Uh, and I'll, I'll cut that video, that audio part, and you can just have him roll that before you walk out, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I, exactly, exactly. Let's just do this with some really good music and you'll be fine. Um, right. So really, I, you know, I, I'd love to kick it off with just letting you share with everybody your story and, and kind of how you've gotten to this point, because it's, it, it's one of my favorite stories. And, and I love the background that you have. So just tell everybody kind of how you've gotten from from point A to point B. Sure. I think that there was really no um, point A to point B in my life. I think there was always a plan to get from point A, which is back in the day, former Soviet Union to point B in the U.S., but every time that we would do anything, they would always, you know, get derailed and we would detour to point, you know, A1, A2, A4, A15 until we got to point B. So um, I was born in the Soviet Union at the time that it was still a Soviet Union. I remember vividly what it's like growing up in the Soviet Union. I remember vividly getting the, you know, the good food stamps from the government because my grandfather was a World War II veteran. I remember standing in line for bread. I remember being told that you're a dirty Jew and you'll never amount to anything openly by your teachers, by your your classmates. It was it was really odd. And then so in the 1990s, when the Soviet Union was about to fall apart, we immigrated to Israel because you know dirty Jews belong in Israel. <laughs> and it was uh, it was a very interesting experience moving to Israel as a child. 
and then growing up in Israel, Israel is probably one of my most favorite culturally rich places in this world. Israelis are extremely diverse, extremely open, um, believe it or not, extremely secular, but also extremely religious and pious. Mm-hmm. And uh, Israel was phenomenal. And, and after Israel, we decided that it's time for us to try to get to Point B, to North America. And we tried to immigrate to the U.S. again, and we couldn't, and we immigrated to Canada. So we ended up in Toronto. I, of course, thought it was a horrible idea to move to Toronto on January 27th. Everybody in my family thought it was a great idea to move to Toronto in the middle of winter. So we moved to Toronto in 97 and uh, spent some time between uh, Toronto and then kind of the greater Toronto area. And then finally in 99, I finished high school in Buffalo, New York. And uh, I then went up to study for my undergraduate degree in Montreal, Canada, and my parents moved to Minnesota because that's where my mother got a placement for her job. And then in 2004, um, she had called me, my mother, and said, what are you doing with yourself? Um, Enough, you know, messing around. I've set up a legal internship for you here in the Twin Cities. And I moved here for the legal internship. I didn't think twice about, A, living here, B, creating a home base here. I thought to myself, no, no thanks. I, I'm never staying here. Mm-hmm. And here I am, uh, you know, 14 years down the road, <laughs> um, happy, married, have my own practice here. I got my law degree here in St. Paul um, and never looked back. So lots of many detours from point A to point B, right. I would say, in immigration history. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I, you know, I, I've always loved talking with you about your background and, and I, I, knowing your personality, law seems like a personal per, perfect fit. And I mean that in the most flattering way, because you are <laughs> a, a very, you're a very strong woman. You're a very, you're, you're brilliant beyond anything that I've ever met in my entire life. And I think when you find that niche and granted, it, it seemed like it was a, a bit of a, a uh, an aggressively suggested niche as it were. Yeah. Um, but how have you really carved your passion and how have you really found this to be your meaning? I mean, you, it's one thing to become an, a, a legal intern, but then to go through what you need to go through to become an attorney and then to set up your own practice. What, where is that passion for you? At what, at what point did you say, this is exactly right for me? Sure. I think that, Rich, at first, um, when you and I had met, I had advocated very strongly that if, God forbid, you do something to upset my best friend, who is now your wife, that I will find you and do many evil things to you. I think that was a direct statement within the first few few sentences that we spoke to each other. Yes, I remember so I it vividly. We'll <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't forget conversations like that. <laughs> And, and, and I think I actually said to you, I'm, I'm not threatening you. I'm telling you the truth. Right. <laughs> so I, think, I think advocacy was always kind of in my blood. I think I realized that I would like to be, I think I realized that I want to help people. Mm. When I was uh, stuck at the Canadian border, so what had happened is that when we were immigrating from Israel to Canada, I was a minor at the time. But the law has changed in the sense that um, what needed to happen with minors and their paperwork. Mm. And even though we were carrying a wonderful letter from the Canadian consulate uh, stating that the paperwork was all in order, in fact, it was not in order. 
And so we were stuck at the border and the government didn't know what to do with me. And we were sitting in a detained space. Um, we were supervised when we would go to use the restroom. We did not eat. And we had just came from about an eight to nine hour international flight. And it was hell. And I thought to myself, my God, over paperwork, why can't they just let me in and figure out a different system for us to process individuals that are stuck at the border? And I thought to myself, if I can save one person from this experience, I have done my duty in, the, in this world. Because this mm. is just a horrible experience over paperwork, but you're detaining people and detaining them for no cause, for no reason, but for the fact that their paperwork is not in order. Right. So then in high school in Toronto, because we were such a big metropolitan place, um, we, I went to high school in William Lyon McKenzie in North York. And North York and Toronto is a very well-known, very diverse um, community. There were Russians, Israelis, people from Guyana, people from Jamaica, all over the Caribbean, Latin America, uh, people from all over Southeast Asia. So we were just a very multicultural high school. A girl uh, came to my high school about two or three months after me, and she had just immigrated from, from Russia now. And she spoke no English, but she always wanted to get into uh, higher classes in terms of academic achievement for her sciences, mathematics, uh, physics, because all of that was by far more superior in Russia than in Canada. Mm -hmm. And she had asked me to help her go with her to the principal office and just explain that she's bored out of her mind in all of her science and, and logistics classes but she doesn't speak any English. So I would go with her and advocate for the school to give her placement tests to advance her and put her in higher ed classes for all of her um, sciences and, and mathematics. And one time the principal's, um, the principal's secretary said, oh, here is the student with her lawyer, Nadia. And it just clicked in my mind. I, I said to myself, I'm going to be a lawyer. That makes perfect sense. It aligns well with what I do. So all throughout going through undergraduate, and even while I was in law school, because I was not a model law student, I was a straight-up C-plus law student, <laughs> I knew that it was going to be a means to an end for me to get to helping people, for me to achieve the dream of not having people get stuck at the border, for me to really get into a position in a profession that I can meaningfully help people with paperwork and getting them from a place of despair, point A, to a place of prosperity and happiness, point B. And so, and, and of course, you know, being, being somebody that you've advocated to and against really, um, <laughs> I, I completely understand your, your power of influence, your power of persuasion. Um, but it, it sounds like that's just always been a part of who you are. And it seems yep. like it, you know, when you, you had that moment where you realized, Hey, not only is this a part of who I am, but I actually enjoy it and I'm good at it. And that seems right. like it kind of set things in motion for you. Definitely. And I, and I would say that I have been one of the few people that I know, at least, that has been blessed with knowing what it is that they want to do very early on. I think a lot of people take time to find themselves and find their career path or their, their work path. And they focus so much on what they would like to achieve Mm -hmm. not what it is that they want to do. So I always tell people, you know, that ask me, how did you, you know, how did you figure out that you want to be a lawyer? I said, I figured out that I'm, I want to help people. I'm tall. I have a strong voice. I have this manifest needs to correct an injustice within me. 
So with what it is that I like to do and what it is that I wanted to achieve in life in terms of serving people and serving others is what got me into law. So I didn't think of it in terms of the end goal. I need to have a certain job or a certain salary or a certain office setting where I'll be happy or certain coworkers. I thought of it in terms of what is it that I'm passionate about and what is it that I'm good at and what is it that I'm going to wake up to every morning and find myself happy doing. The rest is logistics. The rest is, as they say, is peanuts. The rest hmm. will fall into place. And I think you remember, Rich, too, that my, you know, legal career path wasn't all, you know, easy by any means, too. Right. I don't know if you recall that back in the day when I got my law license, I was working at a law firm, a mm-hmm. uh, pretty big, prominent immigration law firm here in the Twin Cities. And right into the recession and about 90 days into me getting licensed, I lost my job. I was terminated. Mm-hmm. And I was so destitute. And I thought to myself, my gosh, I, I did have that good salary. I did have that nice office. I did have colleagues that I admired. I did have clients that I admired. And now that's all been stripped away very early in my career. And what am I going to do now? And so that's why I think my mother was a very powerful force in my life. And she said, Nadia, what do you really need to do to be a lawyer? You need a laptop, you need a phone, and you need good service. And you have both a laptop and a phone. Open your own practice and don't look back. And right into the middle of the economic recession, I opened my own practice back in the end of 2009 into 2010 mm-hmm. and never looked back. And and I just I, I'm I'm nodding my head and grinning because I do remember that time very well. And I think the way you put it is something that I think most people in the world especially in our country, in our culture, uh, in America, struggle with so mightily. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would say that I, I've suffered from this as well, where it's, you forget that there's a, there's a path to everything. So if you truly, to your point, like if you want to be an attorney, you really only need a couple of things. You don't need all these other fancy things. And I think a lot of people get to a point where they get so caught up in all that other BS as far as getting those things set up that they, right. they either drain their passion for what they're trying to do in the first place, or they're, they get into an analysis paralysis about all the things they need to do for it to be perfect for me to go do these right. things. So I, right. I love, I love your mother's guidance and, and, you know, that to me just resonates wholeheartedly. And I think, I think so many other people should be pursuing their passion because of that fact and, and, keeping it simple and, and focusing on the purpose and what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do holistically and not worry about, like, as you said, the logistics of it, just, just get the bare minimum and get going. Right. And I know not, not to use, you know, the spiritual aspect of what we are as people, but that's a very important aspect of who we are as people. And we need to remember that if we are truly in the right path, and if we are truly listening to whatever you want to call it, God, spirit, Allah, Buddha, Krishna, whatever you you adhere to as the higher power, that when you are in transition, that's the most uncomfortable place where you will be. But that is because you, God is moving you or the spirit is moving you, uprooting you from this one spot in the garden and moving you to a different spot in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the movement is when you as the growing entity, the plant, is the least comfortable. But once you get planted in the new soil and once you are there, things will fall into place. And it's God's hand or spirit's hand that's truly moving you from point A to point B, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, so trust in the fact that there will be some discomfort, that things are not going to be perfect at execution, that you'll make many mistakes, many, many mistakes. God knows I've made many mistakes. Some were not detrimental and some were pretty serious, you know, and it just, just have the humility to know that it's fine and focus on your passion, focus on what is it that you love to do and just do it every day. Stop thinking about what, what tools you need to do it. You got all the tools within you to go ahead and do it. And you need to believe in it. Mm-hmm. Even if that means you're slumming it for a little bit, right. For the lack of a better word, right. even if that means that for a little bit, you're not, it's not perfect. I saw clients in an office that I was subletting that was very small. It was nothing remarkable. It was not at a high rise tower with secretary that serves you coffee that has better shoes than you do. Right. <laughs> right. Um, right. It was, it was nothing like that. It was very organic grassroots. It was nothing fancy. The table was somewhat falling apart and no one cared because when you talk through or do things that you're passionate about, your clients or your constituents or the people that you serve don't really care. They just care that you're listening to them. You're doing a good job. You're trying your best. I've had clients walk away from me telling me how grateful they are that they met me because I helped them understand why they're losing their case. And mm-hmm. they didn't care the fact that they lost. They cared that they understood why they lost and what role I played in their process and what role they played in their process. Mm-hmm. And that was the gratitude that they gave me. And if you think about it, they lost their case. That means they have to leave or they don't get the benefit that they so 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 longfully waited for so so yeah yeah and i just i think and i know it's coming out in this conversation and i've known it for a long time but you're you are truly one of the most genuine you know you know i i joke with you all the time that you're so straightforward and and unfiltered but i love that about you and i love the genuine nature of who you are and i think so many people miss out on that so i you know it, when I think about people like you that I know, and I know a lot of people, you are one of the very few people that I know that I 150% of the time will get exactly what you're thinking, exactly what you, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. And I think what you've just communicated, because I'm envisioning you in this office, having a communication, because you're also dealing with people that are in a very desperate position. So if you're having that passionate conversation and you're giving them the guidance, you have to be as transparent genuine and and engaged with that individual as you Mm -hmm. could possibly be to have a situation where, like you said, they've lost their case, but they're thanking you. Right. That's, that's mind boggling. And I don't, I challenge anyone who listens to this or, you know, who can communicate this with others to be that genuine and to be that passionate and engaged with what they're doing, because that is there. Like you said, there's no office design style or shoes that can, that can overcome that kind of passion. That's just, it's irreplaceable. Correct. I agree with you, Rich. And I think that, like I said, so often people are so afraid to gracefully with poise and grace, speak their mind about what it is that needs to happen or what it is that they truly want. Mm -hmm. I have clients that I see regularly that, you know, come off a certain way and they seem disinterested. And then I shut my door and they start crying and they Mm -hmm. tell me what the real reason for why they are the way they are or their real life problems. And at that point, it's just two people talking. 
I never look at my client as a problem I need to fix. I look at them as people, mm-hmm. about the human bond and the human interaction and people talking to people. And I think that that's what they appreciate and that's what I appreciate because when it's just two people talking about circumstances in life and law and how it relates to their life, I think it eases the conversation and it, it makes it so much more natural and mm-hmm. human. Right. And I think a lot of the times in our modern day world with the technology that we have, the technological advances that are propelling our society to be so advanced and so wonderful and so achieving and forward, that human connection, that element of genuineness is so lost. And we are in a culture where you can literally be whoever you purport yourself to be in many different forms. And I think that that's what people genuinely, at least in my area of service, appreciate, that there's no masks. I'm not disclosing or disguising anything in a certain particular way. I tell them, literally, when you come into my office, you're going to take all of your masks off and we're going to get to the truth of the matter. Because the legal system that we have here, by and large, believe me, it's failable. Every system has its own margin of error. But by and large, our system honors integrity, honesty, openness, and truthfulness. Even if your path to getting there has not been so righteous, but if you come out and say truly and openly what it is that you need and how it is that you've gone from point A to point B and where you made errors and where you put on masks, I think the system will definitely yield a more or less beneficial result for you, more or less. That's a big generalization. Right. Yeah, and and something you said, I, I I tried to hold back laughter as you were talking because I love what you said. But something you said just a minute ago made me think of another very honest Nadia conversation that I've had with you, where you sent me a note one time after I had posted something um, online, and it was you know one of my typical memes or quotes or something. And I'll never forget that I got a message from you that said, "Richie, I'm calling bullshit because there's nobody that can be this positive all the time." and it was right. in that moment, and I, and I have you to thank, because a lot of it, a lot of what I do and what I talk about, and I, and I think I explained this to you as well, is, is that most of the time that I'm posting those things, I'm the one that needs to hear it. And mm-hmm. I think that, that made me realize what it was being perceived as. And I think that's where my belief and my desire of communication has shifted where it's not just sunshine all the time. It's, hey, there's a human aspect to this of failure. There's a human aspect of this to mistakes and learning and growing and improving. And I think that is something that that I thank you for all the time, whether you know it or not, because oh. as I continue to grow what I'm doing, I always have I always have your voice in the back of my head, both for content creation, <laughs> content creation and, and personal health safety. Um, but but really I, you know, I, I, I truly thank you and value you for that conversation because it really has helped me. So if, if that's what you do for people that are in the situations that they're in from a legal standpoint, especially, you know, I thank you for being that for them as well. So I, I you know, I, I think that is something that is, again, I go back to the fact that it is irreplaceable how genuine and honest and, and direct you are, because I think there's, and I think, sorry, go ahead. Finish no, your thought. Go ahead. No, go ahead. 
What I was going to say, Rich, is I think that that's a very important point that you're raising, especially in light of the recent news events that we have, mm. especially in light of the fact that, you know, we lost Robin Williams not that long ago, very publicly, and nobody saw it coming. And then we have two back-to-back, very high-end, looks-like-successful celebrity figures, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, mm-hmm. that committed suicide. And And... This morning I was listening to um, the radio and one of the talk show hosts in the morning shows that I was listening to mentioned that he, he, they, they interviewed Kate Spade's dad, who said the night, that, the night before her suicide he had spoken with her and she sounded fine. She didn't sound sad. She didn't sound um, upset. She didn't sound uh, depressed. There was no warning signs. Right. And I think that it gets to the bigger point of the, you know, how do we really evaluate positivity and how do we really evaluate and value positivity and the dichotomy of positivity and negativity in our society? Mm-hmm. And when society pushes aside, it doesn't want to hear anything genuine. It doesn't want to hear anything difficult. It, it gets turned into sincerity, gets turned into negativity. I think we have these you know, standards that we impute on ourselves for perfection, for, for striving towards this ideal image that is not perfect, that is perfect, but it's actually not achievable. It's not attainable. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, you're right. That's a very dangerous cycle to find yourself in. And that's where I think that, you know, my clients at least appreciate that I don't sugarcoat things for them. I don't tell them when they're in custody you know, after a very serious crime, about to be deported, that everything will be fine. I tell them most likely everything won't be fine. Most Mm -hmm. likely you will be deported. That's what most likely is going to happen. Now, here's what I could try to do for you, but don't hold your breath. Or Mm -hmm. if truly the cards are, you know, stacked up 50-50, I tell them. Or if the government is wrong, and the government is wrong many times, Mm-hmm. Um, I tell them, we're going to fight this case. And here's what I need you to do to fight with me if you want to fight. But I tell them that genuinely, openly, that bad, sincere, open advice, open statement. And I tell them, if you're going to cry, cry. If you're going to get upset, get upset. Let's get it out of the way. Let's get it out of your system. Because the more you bottle it in, the more we strive towards that perfect case, perfect facts, perfect law, perfect people, perfect bodies perfect families, perfect relationships, the less we're going to attain it because that's not the duality of this world. Mm-hmm. You know, even, again, reading the Bible, you will see that everything in the Bible has a duality. Everything has an up and a down. Nothing is ever just great. It's just it's not a state of consistency that we as humans can be in. Mm-hmm. And through the despair, through the difficult moments is where we grow. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think those are really important conversations to have in a positivity podcast or in a positivity society because from great despair comes great joy but from great joy also comes great despair it's always in a flux i i agree wholeheartedly and i i love i love the 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 conversation around the duality of everything because i i truly think and i think that's i've gotten to that point recently too where of the people that i follow or, or that i that i'm influenced that i pay attention to there's not a duality And it candidly, it pisses me off because I feel like the more I accept my duality, I feel like those that have a platform and that have a voice need to be communicating that as well. Not, not in a forced way, but there's no way 
that, you know, exactly to what you said to me, there's no way that this is how you are, what your life is 100% of the time. And there is nothing right. wrong. And I think, I think the, between the, the communication that's been going on in the news around the suicides and around, you know, the CDC came out with a, you know, they reported a 25% increase in suicides, I think it's since 1999. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's alarming. And I think, I think yeah. there is, I think you can draw a pretty, maybe not a scientific line, but a, a pretty good assumptive line between the rise of technology and the pressure of perfection and the pressure of this facade and mm-hmm. what it actually compounds. So it's, you know, if you, if you look at a balance, all of a sudden you're feeling the pressure to put forth this perfect facade, which means you're mm-hmm. suppressing the other side of yourself to a point where it just can't help but, but boil. And that I think is, is frankly, I think that's the cause of a lot of it. And that's just my own opinion, but I think that's, you, you can't ignore the, the, the collateral, the, um, the coordination of timing between those two facts, I don't think. Right. I think you're absolutely, absolutely right on that point, you know, and I think all of us, and I need to remind this to myself too, because I always stay humble. I try to stay as humble as I possibly can. Mm. And I understand that in this great big piece of the movement that is me providing service to my clients, I'm not a big deal. I'm really not. And I try to stay humble and I try to remind myself that I get lucky in every case in the sense that good things happen on every case, knock on wood, to the best of my ability because I'm, I'm really putting forward my best possible self. Mm-hmm. But I also got to remind myself that I have achieved a lot and I've accomplished a lot through establishing this practice, through establishing this you know, moving entity of service to help people. And it's okay to once in a while just sit back and say, you know what? I did a great job today, or Mm -hmm. I did a phenomenal job on this project. I'm going to pat myself in the back, not just move it on, move on from it to the next achievement, to the next hill, to the next hurdle, to the next battle. Mm -hmm. Just sit back and relish in the success of the good things that you've done and pat yourself on the back and say, you know what? I've done a great job. I completely royally screwed up on this project. But what I'm going to pat, pat myself on the back on is how I recovered from it. That I was open and sincere. I let my superiors know that I made a mistake. I communicated to the clients or to whomever I'm serving that I made an error. I come and clean and said, I'm an idiot. I didn't know what I was doing on this project, but I've learned from this. And that's what I'm going to take myself um, on a pedestal for. I've learned from this project and I've, I've overcome the adversity of not getting into the situation again, even though I failed on this project. So take a step back and appreciate the fact that you're growing and learning, even in a period of failure. Mm-hmm. That's completely fine. I don't think people do that. All we see is what we celebrate and what we've achieved. We never say something like, today I realized I was a horrible, I was a horrible wife for this period of time to my husband. And I'm going to celebrate the fact that I recognize that. Or today I recognize that being an alcoholic is not a good father-son relationship. I'm going to stop for a minute and think about my relationship with liquor so that I can better my relationship with my father. You right. don't see those posts on Facebook. Right. Yeah, you don't and see I, those, posts, or those photos on Instagram, right? You don't see that on Snapchat. And I think we need to see more of that. I just think we need to be more open as a society about how we come from point A to point B in the process. I, I agree. And I think... 
over, over time, especially when I, you know, I've had people reach out through the podcast or through, you know, just communication. And, and I think when, when people realize, because I think there is that expectation and I think some people seek me out because they feel like I'm this beacon of positivity that they need to refill on. And I think the value truly comes when I say, Hey, look, I've, I've battled these things too. I've been there too. I've been in the depths of depression. I understand. Like I get it. And so it's not Mm -hmm. just, I'm temporarily filling up with this positive guy. It's, Oh, this happens to more people than just me. And I think that's, I I agree. I think we need to see more of that. And I think there are a couple of people that are, that are doing it from a, from a high visibility standpoint, but I I agree. I think on the whole, especially with as many people that are involved with social media and everything else that needs to be happening more often. Um, but the one thing that I, I do want to go to, cause you kind of, you touched on it, you know, and, and you and I both work in the legal world as well. And one report that I saw recently is that there is a, there is a new movement within the legal world with attorneys specifically to admit and be more transparent with mental health struggles and stress struggles and depression. And, and because it is a, it's a very high pressure industry, obviously. I mean, it is, yep. it is an industry built on perfection. And yep. you, you are, you are expected to be that way every single day. So, you know, you touched on humility, but you, would you, would you say that humility is the main driver of how you balance your, I mean, because you've, it's not just enough that you're an attorney, you're an attorney, you're a business owner, you're a wife, you're a mom, you know, there's, there's all these different sources of what could be pressure, but how do you, between humility and what else do you balance your life with? I think that balance too is also, and I'm going to say this, a constant state of flux, right? You're Mm -hmm. never going to be in perfect balance Mm -hmm. because that's not balance. You're always going to have some areas of your life that are going to be more good and other areas of your life that are not going to be so good, right? So that's what I think balance is. I I would say that what I try to remember in this world, at least vis-a-vis my colleagues, vis-a-vis my, um, you know, peers that are my uh, adversaries very often. Um, So, you know, the prosecutors, the Homeland Security folks, whoever's on the other side, the government side, is that whatever standards they impute on themselves and how they view what my role should be is different from how I view what my role is. Mm-hmm. And if there's ever a collision between those two views that is to the detriment of my client, I would like to have a conversation about that because at the, at the end, it is the best interest of the client that really controls. Mm-hmm. And we all have egos. And I remind myself every day that it isn't about my ego. It isn't about that person's ego. It's about the best interest of the client. Now, if the client is ego-driven and motivated, that's not a righteous cause. Then that's not a client that I can represent because that's just not how I am. And I don't further a superficial cause. I further what I would say a righteous cause. That doesn't mean that that client is an angel. That doesn't mean that client is innocent. That doesn't mean that the client hasn't had many infractions with the law. That just means that I'm trying to further a righteous cause based on the facts and the circumstances of each and every case. I don't take cases where I think that I cannot blend with a client because they're furthering what I would call not a righteous cause. It's just how I am. So, and I've turned down very, what I would say, easy cases, easy money cases, 
where I just didn't have a fit with the people. I said, I'm sorry with your attitude and what it is that you're trying to further in this world. I'm not a good fit for you. Talk to this person, talk to this person. It's just not going to work. But in terms of the work-life balance, you know, it's, it's always a struggle. The only thing that I could tell people or whoever's listening to your podcast is because in our society, we wear different hats. And in our society, we are required just because how our society functions and just the cultural makeup of our society to do a lot of things in the busy day. If we were talking in Europe, if we were living in Latin America, if we're living in Southeast Asia, in Russia, I would be having a different conversation with you. But our our Africa, same. But in the United States, we are required to wear different hats during the day and we're required to be what I would say on all the time. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that you need to recharge your batteries somehow. And that's a very important part of my everyday meditation. Mm-hmm. You have to recharge your batteries somehow every day. Because if you just wait for the weekend, wait for that perfect vacation, you're not a machine. You're not, you're not, you're not programmed to work nonstop. You're not one of those robots that are programmed on Westworld that, you know, they can just recalibrate you and throw you right back in the game. You need to remember to recharge your batteries, to find your place of meditation. And it could be as simple as a five minute meditation during the day. It could be as simple as feeding your stupid fish. Mm-hmm. That makes you happy. Right. Do it. It could be as simple as calling your best friend or calling your mom and talking. It could be as simple as just laying next to your spouse in the evening in bed without doing anything, just being next to each other. You want to play on your phone, you want to read a book, whatever, just being together. So whichever way you recharge your batteries, you need to do that every day, not on the weekends, not on that perfect vacation, not during the holiday season, every day, because that will recalibrate you and get you going the next day. That's the best suggestion that I can say about the work-life balance. And also to remember that it will be always in a constant state of flux. Mm-hmm. Whenever I would have a lull at work, I would have time to focus on family and do family-like things. Whenever I would have a difficult time that we're going through the family, I would have, you know, a zenith at work, but family wouldn't be great. Whenever finances were low, you know, Isaac, my son, was doing something wonderful that was making me happy and took my attention from, you know, things that, would make me otherwise very worried and very anxious. Mm. So whenever my health, my physical health was not in the best, you know, position, I always was reminded that my husband is there to help me with my son and with my work and with just picking up the slack around the house. So remember that it's always in a constant state of flux, the balance, the work-life balance, and recharge your batteries every day. You need to do that for yourself every day. And even if that means that you have that difficult conversation with your significant other, wife, spouse, do your support network and say every day, I need to do this for myself. You got to do it every day. You've got to do it every day. I, I completely agree. And that's something that I talked about not too long ago too. And, and I love that you brought up meditation because that's something that I've implemented in my life and have seen a significant change. And I'm, you know, I can tell, I mean, I, I hate to say that it's like brushing your teeth or not brushing your teeth, but I can tell on the days that I, that I don't meditate that my day just flows differently. The, the pressure sits differently. It's just a different day to me. So I, I highly encourage anybody who's listening. I, I think your, your advice is spot on 
you have to take that time. And if it is five minutes or if it's, if you need an hour, God knows some, right. you know, there's some days you need more time than others. Um, I think that that recharge on a daily basis is beyond critical. So I, I love that you, that you touched on that. So yeah. as you know, and, and I want to shift gears a little bit back to, back to the practice. And I think specifically as a, as a woman, because from a, from a man's perspective, what I love seeing is that there is, there is what I feel a, a rising tide of, of power in the business world and in the, you know, whatever industry you want to look at, but in the business world in general for women. And I have, you know, lots of friends, including you that, that have set up their own businesses in whatever industry or are moving up the ladder in, in their own respective company. So what would you say to somebody, maybe even, even a younger woman or somebody who's a little bit unsure of what their next step is from a, from a female, from a female's perspective, what do you think are the best steps or the best things to keep in mind when trying to set up your own business or trying to move up the ladder in the business world? So what I would say, um, and I will, I will say this too, that I'm speaking not only to, you know, women in the business world, but I'm also speaking to people that are minorities, people that are immigrants, people that are disabled, people that are in the LGBTQ community, everyone who is not the mainstream America that America tries to show us that is the mainstream America. Because the face of America is changing every day. What we mean to each other as people changes every day. What our family structure is changes every day. Uh, how we view things as gender changes every day. How we view, you know, other people, workplace setting every day. So I will speak to everybody that does not identify themselves as mainstream America and at the same time to women uh, specifically. I would just say, do you. Hmm. Find what you're passionate about and carve out that niche for yourself and just do you. There will be people that will not appreciate you for who you are. There will be people that will question you and challenge you exclusively based on what you look like, what you present like, what you don't look like, what you don't present like. Just be you. And remember that within you, there's always an element of grace and power. And use it wisely. Those are the two tools that you are given in this world to use for your benefit. I'm not saying change yourself. I'm not saying adapt to situations in ways that compromises yourself. But remember that you have both of those things. You have extreme grace and extreme power. Mm-hmm. And use those tools wisely. And not everybody is going to like you. Not everybody's going to appreciate you. People will challenge you. People will challenge you exclusively because of who you are, what you look like, where you come from, your accent, your sexual identity, your gender. Just move on. Those people are not people that will propel you up in this world. Find the good people, the mentors, the people that have broken through the path in the area that you're passionate in that are like-minded to you that don't see those things as obstacles or preclusions or facades, but see you for who you are and get with those mentors. Ask them questions like, how did you do this in this area? What's my best way? How do I get logistically from point A to point B? How do you network? Who do you network with? What does it mean to network in our area? You need to have allies that will pull you up. You need to Mm -hmm. find good people that are like-minded to you. 
that see you and your passions and your drive for who you are and get those people to pull you up. And believe it or not, more often than not, you will find those allies in the most unconventional, strange settings. One of the most influential individuals that was giving me advice openly and very consistently when I was starting out my own practice was a white, middle-aged, extremely Catholic, very wealthy attorney that was very aligned with my cause and very aligned with what it is that I was doing. And if you think about it, he had all of the characteristics to just be that classic other America. He right. had all of the characteristics right. to denounce who I am, to, to say, but you're a woman, you're an immigrant, you're Jewish, you look weird. You know, you don't present in a very proper way. I like when people use the word proper, <laughs> derogatory, derogatory way of saying something to somebody else. You don't properly present yourself. Well, right. proper for whose standard, right? right? But that individual has been, and we're still friends today, has been so instrumental in my growth and in my career advancement and introducing me to people that I would never even think that are, you know, would, would help me but he saw me for who I was. So find those people that see you for who you are, that are your mentors, and get from them all of the information that you need, how to get you in your industry, in your profession, in your service fashion, from point A to point B. And believe it or not, they'll do that for you. Because if they see you for who you are and they're like-minded to you, they will understand that your success will only propel them higher. Mm -hmm. that your success is not going to push you back, but will elevate the two of you together very gracefully. So if that would be by way of advice, so remember that you're not going to appease everybody. Just do you. Use your power and grace. Find good mentors and just keep going. Just keep going through the system and you'll find that, you know, point B. I love that. And I think I think the one thing that has resonated with me, especially within that, that, I've been on the fence about, but you, as you always do over the last 10 years, have kind of pushed me off the fence on something is seeking out mentors. And I think there is that, it kind of goes back to the whole thing that, you know, the underlying thing that we've been talking about, about, you know, thinking that you can do this on your own and thinking that you're not, you know, that you're in it by yourself. And, and really when you think about, and, and I had this conversation the other day with another friend of mine on the topic of racism in the sex, in the sense that, Racism is such a lazy, ignorant thing because you can't yep. say that everybody in one bucket is, is is of one behavior type or one classification. And the the thing that I've always enjoyed over my life is that I've always understood that everybody knows something that you don't. And if you don't yep. look at it like that, you're missing out on some tremendous connections and you're missing out on tremendous lessons that you can be learning from other people as well. And so I love the idea of saying, you know, I'm not going to pigeonhole myself, one, to do this on my own, but two, I'm not going to limit myself to saying, okay, this is the only path I have and these are the only people I can talk to by seeking out those that have the same energy as people and understand your cause and understand your passion and want to help no matter who they are, where they come from, or what their background is, that there's always... Right there's going to be somebody or some people that are going to want to help you advance because they, they genuinely connect with what you stand for and what you believe in. But if you're not putting that forward, 
like you've talked about throughout this conversation, you may miss out on that connection. Absolutely. And, and what I always remind myself is that there are no useless people that you meet in this world and there are no accidental people that you meet in this world. Every single person that crosses your path is there for a reason. Every single person that crosses your path is there to teach you something. Mm -hmm. You're there to learn from the people that are so extremely not like-minded to you and so extremely closed off and ignorant to the cause that you are advocating for, the cause that you're promoting through your acts of service. And it's fine. It's fine mm. because either you remember, it's a, you know, a slap in the face reminder that, oh my God, I'm never going to associate with people like that, or I'm never, this isn't my crowd, or oh my God, there's so much that I can still do through my acts of service and through my power and grace to educate people, to bring them to a position of enlightenment, or at least bring them to a place and show them how to attain enlightenment. You can't force people to do anything, right? You can only force, right. you can only bring them to that area of, you know, look at this knowledge, look at this information, look at this, you know, entity of enlightenment. So, yeah, and there's no useless people in this world. A lot of the times I think we dismiss people because they're not in our circle. They're not people that we would normally associate with. They're not like us. They don't hold the same values. They don't stand for the same things that we do. And I think that to, to a certain extent, to a certain extent, Rich, I think that's a great error because mm -hmm. even from those people, you can learn something that will enrich your world and your community. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you should join the KKK to try to understand their cause. Right. They're not a group that promotes a righteous cause. Right. And I don't think that that's what, you know, what you and I are talking about. But if you learn about what it is that they do and how they do it to understand how, you know, dogma works, how fanaticism works, you know, what is it about al-Shabaab and Hamas and Jihad? that is so attractive to people and why to understand that the true root cause of certain things is despair, poverty, uh, disillusion, you know, all the human things that we can fix through service or we can get to try to fix through service um, with our power and grace. And I think you're learning too. So just, you know, seek out the mentors that are like-minded to you, keep going forward. But remember too, there's don't close yourself off too, because, God or spirit always throws something interesting in your path for you to learn from. So it's, there's no accidental people or useless people in this world ever. I completely agree. And, and I, I will, I will wholeheartedly say, and, and more so after this conversation, cause I think this is one of the best conversations you and I have ever had. And we've had some good ones. Uh, but I, yeah. I am thoroughly thankful that, that crossing your path, even though it was, my life was on the line when it happened, um, I am, I am thoroughly thankful that it was no accident that you were, that you were put into my life and that we, we have had this conversation and now, uh, you are a part of everybody who's listening to this lives as well. And I think the things that you've shared and the, and the lessons and the, and the takeaways are just bountiful. And I think there's so much to take from this that, you know, if everybody that I, I know that everybody that listens to this will walk away a better person after hearing your thoughts and your background and your, and your passion for, doing what's right, doing what you love and being who you are. And I think that is, that is an invaluable lesson for anybody to absorb on a daily basis. Well, thank you for that. I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not doing or saying anything that 
people are not already thinking about, mm -hmm. that people maybe are not voicing it out loud through their voicing channels, but they're thinking it deep in their hearts and in their minds on a daily basis in their own worlds and in their own perimeters. I'm, I'm nobody special. You know, I just, I just call it as it is and I speak it as it is. And Rich, you have been also an incredible inspiration to me and an incredible, you know, whirlpool of knowledge and and connections and individuals to surround yourself with to also further your cause mm -hmm. through that, you know, energy of positivity and optimism and and you know, service, serving people that I, I deeply admire you too. So so the ball goes both ways. But I, I hope whoever listens to it just, you know, understands that being you is cool. That's the only thing that you can be, just you and just mm -hmm. it is what it is. And some people ain't gonna like it. That's the problem, you know, provided that you have a good relationship with yourself, more or less. Right. Right. Agreed. Uh, right. That, that you seek that, you know, constant state of flux of balance within yourself that every day you try to do something to better your own self and laugh at your own self, too, because all of us are just painful idiots once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with that. And, right. And I, I th yeah, I think I think you and, you and I both have no problem admitting that whatsoever. So. Um, yeah. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with me today. And, and like I said, I think everything that we've discussed and everything that you've shared is just absolute gold. And, um, whether or not you think you're special, I completely will, will disagree. Um, cause I know you love it when I disagree with you. Um, but <laughs> I, I completely disagree. And I think you are, you are an amazing woman. You are an amazing soul. And I am, I'm very blessed to know you. And I'm, I'm very thankful that you have now introduced yourself to so many more people. So thank you so well, much for coming on today. It's an honor, Rich. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Enrich Your Soul podcast. For more information and resources, visit richbracken.com.